these two men of God are plowing the fields uh, in a in a very significant area with the church, which which is and the message is just really beginning to get unveiled. But it is most probably one of the most significant messages for the ecclesia in the final acts of reform to prepare the church and prepare the bride for a coming. Great. Well, um, Greg Healy um, is a very good friend of mine, um, and God has really placed a message on his heart related to financial um, freedom from uh, entanglements with the system of the world related to finances and how to do finances God's way kingdom economy. This has been a life message for him for many years. He came out of a Wall Street banking background and went from doing that to kind of living a George Mueller uh, style faith walk. And um, he's going to be sharing more about that in this hour. And then we also have Gary Crawford. So Gary um, is from Florida and they have started a regional network down there. Um, within uh, the historic Manatee County in, um, in Florida. And it is uh, doing a lot of the same things. So Greg and, Greg and Gary are doing a lot of the same things together. Um, thinking about ways to use finances as God intended. And so doing things like uh, Christian lending to different groups, um, creating common funds. Uh, Gary's creating a common fund to use um, for both charitable purposes and also lending purposes, but something that's like a uh, kind of like a war chest for uh, the regional leadership to be able to use in a, in their area. So um, anyway, you guys are really going to enjoy, I think, hearing from these two brothers tonight. Um, they work together regularly. And so it just seemed right that we'd put them together uh, to share together tonight. So Greg, Gary, I don't know how you guys want to go about tackling this hour, but I'm just going to hand it over to you at this point. Thank you, Jonathan. I'll uh, take it and hand it off to Gary, but I'll turn it back to you right now and you can uh, speak for us. No, I'm just teasing. Um, <laughs> we, 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 uh, we, uh, we want to welcome everybody here today. And thank you, Jonathan Grant and the 10 days team for this opportunity. Um, thank you for that introduction. And uh, Gary and I do work closely together and we're, we're very much focused on keenly concerned about how God thinks about administrative practices, resource practices, business practices in the church. And we're not talking about just church, but we're talking about church membership, church unity, the fellowship of the believers in the kingdom. So this message that Grant was speaking of is so relevant for today. Come out of Babylon. And we're going to talk about that, debunk that. What does it mean? How do I do that practically, Greg? Are you talking about like locking ourselves away in some utopian society where we never talk to anybody anymore? And we prep for the end of all things with resources and Hide in caves? No, we're not talking about that. We're, and we're not talking about ancient Iraq, uh, which is where Babylon was centered, headquartered uh, historically. 
we are really talking about today the need for God's people to respond to this call to repentance. Grant just read you the Revelation 18.4, which I was going to read you as well. And essentially the essence of that is this. All throughout the history of the Bible, all throughout the history of mankind, there's always been a choice. Do we follow God and worship him or do we follow ourselves and worship man and the gods that are created by men? Well, that really is the tale of two kingdoms all throughout scripture. One kingdom is called the kingdom of Babylon and the other kingdom is called the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. We have a choice. Cain and Abel made this choice. It's a great contrast to understand the two kingdoms right there. Abel was a shepherd. He was generous. He gave the best back to God. He worshiped God in spirit and truth. Um, Cain did not. Cain was jealous. Cain was trying to get ahead. Cain was giving the least he could to keep the crops coming. Um, he operated really in a spirit of man uh, in the absence of God. Um, and you know the story about of, of that tale. But let's go right to the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. The Tower of Babel, which is also related to the kingdom of Babylon, was this first organized attempt of the peoples of the world to unite. What were they uniting in? Not to worship God, but to be like God, to compete with God, to build a skyscraper to the heavens, this Tower of Babel. So this is the Babylon we speak of. The Babylon of Revelation 17 and 18 is a metaphorical Babylon. It is not a physical Babylon, a one country, a one location. It's described as a city that affects all the kings of the earth. A, a harlot that has uh, gotten everybody drunk on her deceptions and her harlotries. Everybody, all the leaders and the kings of the earth uh, are swept into this deception of, of harlot Babylon. Babylon is another way of saying the Antichrist kingdom. Babylon is what we read about in Daniel where Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that Daniel interpreted. The statue of a golden head, the bronze torso, um, the, uh, the legs, and then into the feet of iron and clay. This is a history of all of the varieties of the kingdom of Babylon all throughout time. So there's this choice of so the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of Babylon. We know who the prince of the kingdom of Babylon is. That's the devil. That's the enemy. That's, that's Satan. And when Jesus was tempted by Satan on the high of the hill um, in the desert in his 40 day test, um, a time of prayer and fasting, <clears throat> a time not unlike this 10 days of prayer leading up to Pentecost, in that time, he was tempted with all of the kingdoms of this world. If you just bow down and worship me, said Satan to Jesus, then you could have all of these kingdoms of this world. So that's, that's the kingdom of Babylon. And so we want to talk about how do you come out of that as a believer today? If we're commanded to come out of Babylon, we've got to realize a few things. Firstly, is that there's a time where the people of God are in Babylon. Well, why are the people of God in Babylon? Well, in the Old Testament, the people of God were in Babylon as a punishment. They were enslaved by Babylon because they were rebelling against God when they were on their own as Israel. Judah, um, the, the ten tribes of the north of Israel. 
Israel was judged for its sin. The people of God are judged for our sin. There's a time to be in Babylon, and you're, you can even be called into Babylon like Daniel was, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were. But what we know about those characters in the Bible is they never conformed to Babylon. They stood out. They were consecrated, set apart. They were willing to risk their lives and not bow down to those foreign gods of Babylon. Uh, but what we never see is Babylon saved. So Babylon is not saved. Ancient Babylon was not saved. And I was contend that modern day Babylon, the harlot, also not saved. Famously in this passage, Babylon refuses to mourn. The harlot refuses to change. The harlot will not submit to God's correction. And many people will go that path, but the people of God cannot go down that path. So the people of God are called out of Babylon. We are not to save Babylon. We are to save people. We are to call people out of Babylon. We are to come out of Babylon. Um, Babylon is a place, if we remain in it, we're going to be judged alongside it. So that's important to remember in these days as as the world's way of commerce, as the world's economies, as the world's governments, as the world's corporations, as the world's educational systems are following the ways of Babylon to the extent that we're conformed to that and partnered in it, we will be judged as well. One of the things I would put forth as a question, but it's something I think about and, and believe is true. Are the plagues of the modern day, like COVID-19, a type of a plague of Babylon? Is this the beginning of many other plagues that we're going to see worldwide? And is the solution to these plagues clear from the scripture? I think it is. All we have to do is not be in Babylon any longer, and we will not be afflicted by these plagues. This is the principle of the Israelites in Egypt under the blood of Yeshua, the Passover blood. They were protected from the latter plagues because of the blood. Their firstborn sons did not die because of the blood. They escaped from Egypt because of the blood, because of the Ask a Lamb, the bloodshed of Jesus. And we too have to come into that. So, now we'll just talk practically. Let's let's interpret that practically. Let's let's look at what are the things we need to examine in our lives today where we may be partnered with Babylon, we may be enslaved by Babylon. I'm going to focus a lot of this on financial matters, economic matters, employment matters, income matters. And let's just walk through some of these and maybe later, and you could even write to us like with any questions you might have. So again, look at things from the most impact and the most entanglement or the most enslaved we can be to sin in Babylon versus the things that are the least affecting us. And we actually, if we stopped whatever it is we're doing, um, we would no longer be tied to it. What I mean by this is just think of your own bank account. Most everyone here has a bank account today, right? Is the banking system in the United States, which is under the Federal Reserve and the government, um, and many privately held, publicly traded banks, is is that system to glorify God and expand the kingdom? I would contend it's not. So therefore, is that system at risk of being hijacked by the enemy and, quote, be a haunt for jackals and demons, which is what happens to Babylon over time. It becomes more and more 
infected. It becomes more and more sinful. It becomes more and more rebellious against God. So if if that is true, then we have to ask ourselves, well, you know what? Um, The first thing I should wonder about this banking system and this financial system is, am I partnered with it? Am I coming into agreement with it? Well, owning shares in publicly traded companies is literally the same thing as, as partnership from a legal standpoint. So are you aware when you buy stocks or you buy the market or you buy the indices of the market you're, and you're buying, say, these banks, you're partnering with those banks. So whatever those banks do, for example, if they exploit the poor by charging them interest, where God says, do not do that. If they exploit the poor by charging them more interest and more fees than, than wealthy people, God says that's wicked in his sight. So if we're owning the company that does that and getting a dividend and a profit and an increase from that, are we or are we not partnered with it? If we're partnered with it, we need to consider unpartnering with it. How do we do that? We sell our shares. We get rid of the stock. So every time you own a company, think about, am I partnering with the business practices of this company? Uh, You can walk through any company and there's a whole litany of issues where companies today are doing things that are evil in God's sight. And we can no longer use as an excuse, well, God understands all that. We have evil in this world, so it's okay because that's how I get my income. That's how I get my money. But just remember, God is not going to use sin to fulfill his promises. He's not going to use a vehicle um, that exploits and hurts people to fulfill his promises. God can provide with or without money. So we have to We have to wrestle that down. So one of the first practical things is, what am I invested in? And are those investments a partnership with this spirit of Babylon? And and that becoming more and more demonically oriented. You know, 50 years ago, companies were not supporting sin as they do today. They were not supporting the LGBTQ movement. They were not supporting abortion. They were not supporting um, the exploitation of people for profit as much, um, things have changed. So we have to look at this in the new light. So that's one of the things we practically have to look at. Now, employment is another one. Like who, where do we get our employment from? We have to evaluate that. God can give us employment in our own companies or in a family company or in a Christian company, or God can give us employment at Apple Computer or Google or any of these big Fortune 500 companies. But if we're employed by those companies who deploy those business practices, it may not be as bad as partnering with them, but it's probably the next worst thing because then you might be wedded to that income that was derived from those practices. You might be feeling to yourself like I have to have this job because I need this income to support my family to be able to tie it to my church. But you've got to remember that if these companies are just going to more and more worship not God, but prophet, the God of mammon. They're going to worship not God, but more and more political correctness or whatever it is the culture believes in today. A PepsiCo funds all sorts of um, movements that are anti-biblical and and anti-Christ. And I'm just naming some names, but you can name any of the names and come up with the same issue. It's not a hard concept to understand. It's really to say we always have to evaluate our vocations because we can't allow fear to drive us to employment, to get income, to satisfy our needs for resources. 
and confuse that with, oh, God wants me to be a good steward. So I need and he wants me to work diligently and he wants me to work unto the Lord. So I should work wherever I can to make the money that I need. I think that's potentially a trap. We have to we have to evaluate that. Did God call us to do that? Or did he say, as he, I'm going to quote scripture, Matthew 6, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and righteousness. And then all the things that you worry about or what, what the Gentiles, the unbelievers worry about, they'll be added unto you. Now, it may not be exactly how you thought or what you wanted or like, I have this great wish list, just like a kid. Can't go to his father and say, I'd like endless candy, please. Could we have it like Willy Wonka in the chocolate chocolate factory? No, it's that's probably not the best for us. But if we seek his kingdom and we consecrate ourselves and seek after righteousness and um, come out from Babylon, God is going to provide these things. And you know what? He can do it outside of the Babylonian system. He can do it outside of the banking system. He can do it outside of money. Now, God can do it with money or without money. Back to the banking system, probably the toughest thing is partnership. The, ne the next toughest thing is probably uh, either employment or indebtedness. If you are in debt to a bank through a mortgage, most Americans are, or you're in debt to a bank for a car, or you're in debt to the bank for anything, the bank has the ability to seize your assets. And the bank in conjunction with the government and the Fed can change the rules. So you might even say, oh, no, my mortgage is great. I've got a 2% interest rate. It's no problem. But did you read the fine print of the legal contract? Did you read the force majeure contract language that says in the event of an act of God or other events, like we can change the deal? We can force you to pay more. We can force you to pay early. We can take your house. I think that's the thing we need to understand is that in the coming days of Babylon becoming more and more evil, those systems that we depend on, those systems that we think are reliable, those th systems we can even say are that that's God, they can have us enslaved. And then we feel a financial pressure and fear. Well, how am I going to pay the mortgage if I don't have the money and that job? So then you're locked up across the board. You, you're locked up employment-wise, income-wise, debt-wise. And before we know it, we're, 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 we're subject to Babylon, we're enslaved. So it's, it's not saying like, uh, you can never have any more money, you can never have any more uh, checking accounts. That's not what God is saying. What he's saying is in the days ahead, you don't wanna be a slave to a system that's becoming corrupted. You don't wanna be partnered with a system that's becoming corrupted. So don't co-own the company that's causing these things to occur or in sin or getting drunk on Babylon's wine. Don't own that stock. Don't partner with those profits. If you have debt to that organization, try to get out of that debt, pay it down um, and, and work together with God's people to provide an alternative loan that's made like the Bible speaks of. Alone without interest, alone without recourse. If we, the people of God, come together, and this is the storehouse vision, we can replace those banks so that people are not enslaved and God's people can come out of Babylon. This is actually an evangelistic tool because if we're out of Babylon and we have the ability to help people while other people are enslaved and are scrambling 
for income or, or jobs or, or issues to pay down their bills, we can step in to help them if we're apart from the system. But if we're in the system itself, we're going to be so consumed by trying to deal with those problems, those plagues, those troubles, we may not have any time or compassion or energy or effort to help others. But when we're totally dependent on God, not on these aspects of the system, we will be in a position of freedom and liberty to do what we need to do. And this is what's key. So here's a few other things quickly. Um, you want to get out of financial institution debt, financial institutional debt. And if you cannot pay that down yourself, which most people cannot, we, the church, have to rise up and pool our resources so we can get people out of Babylon and get people out of those debts. We need to pay down and pay off our mortgages. Uh, we need to stop looking at the stock market as this engine for my provision. Uh, we have to stop looking even at our economy as an engine for my provision. If our economy tanks, which the Bible speaks about, the shakings that are coming, that's okay for the people of God. Like, we will get through, we will get by. And part of that is exercising our faith muscles early on, doing these things, being obedient, stepping out in faith, taking a risk, trusting God now. We work those faith muscles, we'll increase, we'll be able to do more and more of that, and we'll be prepared, well-trained, like an army is well-trained for battle. We'll be well-trained to be able to deal with the storms that are ahead because we've already been trusting on God. We've been building our house on the, on the rock. Building our house on Babylon is like building a house on sand. Income, employment, mortgages, debt, um, investment structures, profiting. If we, if we are just doing those things the way the world does them, we built our house on the sand economically. So we can even have our soul preserved, but our whole life is embroiled in this sinful behavior. And God says that's going to cost the people of God in the days ahead. They will be judged along with um, Babylon and its sin. So it's a call to come out. Here's some other things to consider. Um, many Christians, in, especially in America, are very generous with their money, um, and that's good. Um, we Oftentimes, people give a tithe or give an offering. That's good. We should continue to do that. But we have to get out of this habit that 10% of what we have is the Lord's and we give it, and 90% is mine to do what I want. And uh, of that 90%, I really want to make sure I have more income and in returns, so I'm going to reinvest that in all these different products in Babylon. God is saying, like, unlock the 90%. You can invest in the people of God. You can invest in Christian companies. You can invest in Christian people who need capital to come out of Babylon, buying people's mortgages, being able to do that in a biblical way, no interest, no recourse, or, or a, given, a giving and receiving of a fair and reasonable return that's agreed on by both parties. This is a legitimate way. So that's part of it. Um, uh, investing locally, which is a similar to saying investing in your regional church, church and ministry unity effort, prayer efforts. When the church comes together in a greater way, we, the people of God, have a force to combine our resources to help others. This is like uh, barn raising. This is like pooling resources together to help people who are in trouble. Uh, recently, Jonathan's friends had a neighbor, their house burnt down. 
And so their, their local church, their house church, like gathered together resources to help them. Um, so we not only can gather resources together to help to give, but we can also gather resources together to help to rebuild, give loans, um, get, have people get started again. This is actually the origination of why insurance was developed. It was actually people working together to help others in a time of crisis or a time of fire, a time of calamity, a kind of time of disaster. But it's gotten away from that. It's become now a profit-making engine. It's become separate where we pay these premiums endlessly. We don't know where they go or how they work. And then we trust in a system to help us, not a, not a relationship, not a person, but it's the, the insurance system backed by the Federal Reserve, backed by the financial markets to bail us out in a time of need. So as these things are troubled, as these things are plagued, as these things aren't functioning properly, we, the people of God can't depend on them. We have to trust in God and one another. Um, other things, so insurance is something to look at. Like, do, do I have, am I overinsured? Like, am I, am I buying insurance I don't need? Um, government dependency. Am I dependent on government systems, government welfare, government healthcare, government programs? The government runs out of money. What are we going to do then? If we've already planned ahead, we're already exercising our faith muscles and we're doing something else. We're doing something different. There's a medical group called um, MediShare, I believe, and there's others like this that are Christians who group themselves together and they basically pay off each other's bills as medical bills arise and issues arise. That's not a perfect answer because the whole healthcare system is also wrapped up in Babylon, but it's a part answer. And it's the same idea of pulling together resources and assets. Um, it's 731 now. I have a few more to go, but I wanted to turn it over to Gary, too, because he's had very uh, parallel experiences um, to to these things. And they're modeling it earnestly in the original Manatee County, which is a group of eight counties in central West Florida. Uh, here's another thing. A lot of people are obsessed with their credit score. Uh, for years, I, God has been pointing out the credit scoring system is a system of slavery. It's actually a precursor to the mark of the beast. More and more credit scoring is required to rent a home, to, to get a job, to borrow money from the banks. And all we are in a credit score is a number. We're a number, we're a computation. And the company, Fair Isaac, that created this computation, they basically incentivize the computation to go into more debt and be a better slave. And you get a higher credit score. So. This is not the way of God. This is not the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of Babylon. Um, it, there's more. If you want more resources, go to our website, newbreed.co. There's a tab there called Coming Out of Babylon. That is going to be more and more resources will be added there. There's videos, there's teachings, there's presentations. Um, also, there's a tab on God's economy that shows like the difference between giving and receiving and buying and selling, or the quid pro quo economy, the difference between uh, Boaz's economy, which is the economy of the Bible, and, um, and um, the economy of the world, and other good resources. So God bless you guys. Coming out of Babylon is not some religious exercise. It's not some, if I meet the litmus test, then I won't get plagued. If I, you know, do this or this, it's really just about getting out of dependency on things that are systems not run by God 
and, and enslavement by those systems and partnering with those systems. We want to get out of that. There's a difference between buying a toothpaste, sorry, a toothbrush from um, Colgate Palmolive and being an investor in Colgate Palmolive. You have the freedom to not buy that toothbrush again, but if you're an investor, you're basically partnered in with all of their practices, whatever they are. So just that's, that's a difference. That makes a big difference. There's a difference between having a mortgage and having a checking account. If your checking account got closed tomorrow and you lost your money, so be it. That would be that. But if, you're, if the government took over your bank and called your mortgage, they would be coming calling potentially for your house. So they'd be taking your house from you. You say, well, how dare would they do that? Believe me, there's ways that it can be done legally if, if the government and the regulators feel like they've got to bail in the system. There's bailouts and there's bail-ins. So just think about all these things. There are differences and let God guide you as he takes us all out of Babylon. It's going to take the community. It's going to take a remnant of people who are willing to come together and take back these areas of culture and society, take back from Babylon these things that we've outsourced or we've been even taught by some of our spiritual teachers. Um, to you know, you just with money things and jobs, you just do that the way the world does it. We don't do that here in the church. That's that's not true. Like if you look at the Jewish people in the Jewish culture, everything's in-house, everything's covenantal, and that's how it is with God. So I want to hand it over now to Gary. And Gary has a word about interceding and and, and what God is, is, is asking us to pray for in these days. I probably should let you know that Jonathan and Grant could. Greg and I together because nobody else would do anything with us. So I want to share with you all a couple things and give you a perspective of some of the things in the time frame we're in, because, you know, as brothers and sisters, we're all sitting here alive on the earth in this time and God's ordained that. So that puts us in each other's destiny in this hour. It also puts in the midst of what God wants to be doing in this hour. And I want to share a little bit about that and give you some thoughts about this because there's a time frame in, I live in Southwest Florida, like Greg said, and one of the things that we run into down here is when the hurricane season starts, which starts on Tuesday of this week, and a hurricane comes, we find that many people here in Florida study that what they call the spaghetti models in the Caribbean as a, as a hurricane is approaching Florida. And they watch that loosely. They don't really change their lives too much. They continue as things were, so to speak. But as those spaghetti models sort out of the hurricane begins to move towards Florida, their attention goes up. And it's interesting because two days before, if that's moving in our direction, two days before it happens, all of a sudden the shelves and the things in the shelves and the stores begin to disappear. And there is a sense with which the church, in my opinion, is somewhat asleep to the things that are going on in the world right now. I'm going to give you four experiences I had personally with the Lord. But but before I do that, I want to read you a passage because I want to give you a framework for where we are in God's timeline, which I think is going to be important for you to pray about and consider. Because, you know, Jesus wept over Jerusalem because they did not recognize the time of their visitation. And he said, it's going to be like the days of Noah. People are going to be going and coming and doing things and they won't recognize what's going on. So I want to read this passage to you because I think the church often has an escape mentality instead of an occupation mentality. This is out of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and it says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ 
and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or trouble, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself. So let's suppose that that's talking about the rapture of the church, and you may be a pre-tribber, a mid-tribber, whatever. The one thing we know from that scripture is our being gathered to Christ, wherever you are in your eschatology on that, is not happening until after the man of perdition is revealed. And to the best of my knowledge, he has not been revealed as of yet. How I were, I would strongly argue that we are in the great falling away. And I know of no place in scripture where it tells us how long that'll last, although times and testings have been 40 years, 40 days, et cetera. So I believe we're seeing evil rise. We're seeing it growing around the world. It's not unique in one country. It's growing globally. And we are seeing world systems begin to pressure test what they can get away with. With that, I want to share four experiences I have with the Lord. In 2020, in March, I asked the Lord, Lord, what do we do with this pandemic? Probably many of you did the same. The only thing he said to me immediately was, do not draw the sword like David did in the garden. And I learned and understood that what he was saying, David did not understand that Jesus was about to transition them from into a different session or, or time frame of the kingdom. And he was reacting out of his flesh to protect Jesus. It was a noble gesture, but I really feel like the church did much the same thing. It got its rough feathers ruffled. But what happened at that point was, is the sheep got scattered. And for the most part, the church has been flustered by this whole pandemic situation. They've scattered into their various corners to figure out what to do. The other thing that's very important to realize out of this is immediately Jesus turns to Judas. He says, this is your hour. Go and do what you must do. We are moving into what I think is a fulfillment of the Isaiah 60 passage. Darkness is going to cover the earth. And I think the church reacted poorly because it didn't recognize what God was doing. It was angry at what they saw happening to their life and what they understood about their Christian walk. And therefore, <clears throat> we've, been, we've been fluttered. Then the next, the next thing I got in 2020 was in August. I was kayaking in Florida uh, between two islands that border on the Gulf of Mexico. And I was kayaking over some uh, manatees and just thanking the Lord for his creation. And I looked out to the Gulf of Mexico and the Lord said, do you see these boats coming in from all directions back into to port? I said, yes. He said, right, red return. And I said, right, red return, what is that? He said, the gospel that left Jerusalem 2,000 years ago is getting ready to return. And he said, these boats have been out fishing all over the Gulf of Mexico, much like my church has been planting and doing things for 2,000 years. And he said, notice what the boats do, whether they be jet skis, cabin cruisers, deep sea fishing boats, all of them slowed down and they got in line. And he said, if, you, if the church does not get in line with what I'm doing, it will miss and not, not understand what's going on. The markers of right red return are an international marker system when you're coming back into port that you have to keep on the right side of your boat or you'll run aground. And you can't skip around and go to the next one you may see off in a distance. You have to stay in the channel because that's where the water is deep. 
And he said, my church needs to learn to watch for the markers in this hour because it's not going to be church as usual. The third thing he told me was in December of 2020, he said, do not contend with Satan, contend with me. And he said, my son never was worried about Satan when he was in the garden or facing the cross. He was talking to me. And the body of Christ and the bride needs to talk to me. Moses went up on the mountain, and this was a test for him. And he said, when the Lord said, go down there, they rebelled. I'm going to kill them all and start over again. He really wanted to see where Moses would intercede for them on the mountain. And he said, Lord, did you bring us out here to kill us in front of the Egyptians? In other words, this is where the bride can move into an intercessor role that will perfect and raise us to another level in the way we pray and what we do. And that's what Jesus did in Gethsemane. And he even, even when he got into the seriousness of his trials with Pontius Pilate, he said, Pilate, you have no authority over me except what my father has granted to you. He was always looking at his father's hand and even in the midst of difficulties. And the bride is going to have to learn to do this. And I'm not sure there's any way to learn how to do it and instead of going through what the Lord is going to position us to be for his glory. The fourth thing, this is March, the Good Friday, 2021. I'm with the Lord in the morning, and I said, Lord, what, what, what's going on? And he said, he said, you see that ship in the Suez Canal that's blocking the Suez Canal right now? And I said, yes. He said, sometimes my bride is a greater hindrance to the advancement of the kingdom than the gates of hell. He said, they're trying to go back into a different direction, and they need to straighten out and move forward with what I'm doing. And I don't know if you recall that, but during that exact time, that ship blocked huge amounts of commerce on either side of the Suez Canal, and it couldn't pass because they entered the canal when they should not have, and the wind blew them sideways, and it locked up the canal in the Suez. And the church has been cattywampus for a season. I do think it's broken loose and is beginning to flow again, but it's been cattywampus because I don't think we've come to grips with the times that we're in. And even the disciples didn't recognize the times they were in. It's time we move back into alignment. And I want to give you a couple passages because as we wrestle with the things that Greg shorted out with us, the compression period time between moving from the church age to the kingdom age is going to have more and more pressure to it as we move down this pipe. And it's going to be very important for us to begin to recalibrate where we are and what God's calling us to do in this hour. It will not be business as usual. We will need local community-based wealth models, not global financial markets. We will need to change and move back into things that were taught in the Tanakh and to move into places where we trust and can we can be a living, some people are calling them in-time communities where we have each other's back that God will divinely protect. And I want to talk about that for a second. First of all, in Revelation, the one of the things that, Mo, that Noah was, it says while he built the ark, he was a preacher of righteousness. We need to be in a position where we are starting and beginning to preach righteousness and the coming of the king. Arguing about all the things the enemy wants to get into rhetorical discussions about is a waste of time. We need to signal the king is coming and you need to repent. This is the last opportunity. This is the final things. The things that he said thousands of years ago are coming to pass. As a matter of fact, in Daniel chapter 12, it said, Many will turn many, those whose, whose stars turn many to righteousness will shine bright in the heavenly realms. And it said, the wicked will not understand what's going on right now, but the wise will understand and turn many to righteousness. This is the finest hour for the church, if we get it. 
if we move into our responsibilities, if we unite as one. Remember from the time that Peter drew the sword in the garden until the time, and we're in Pentecost week, which we're celebrating, it was, they moved from that point to the time they were in the upper room and Pentecost fell. And the first Pentecost in scripture, it says, is about the rains that came in Israel, but they were to set the seed for the plants. The second Pentecost, or the latter rain thing that is discussed, is preparing for a great, the fruit would come through in great abundance. So the rains were more intense. And I believe what God is getting ready to do, and he talks about it in Isaiah. Let me just read that passage to you, Isaiah uh, 60. It says, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. God is waiting, and I believe, wants to ordain the bride in this hour to come forth in a special way. And I think there's something that we can be doing individually and collectively. And I want to read from you in Zechariah 10, verse 1. Ask the Lord for the rain. He's actually saying in Scripture for us to ask him for the rain. In the time of the latter rain, I believe we're in the time of the latter rain. We know that there's a great harvest coming at the end of this. We know that before he comes, there will be a huge harvest. And that's what it talks about, the righteous acts of the saints in, in uh, Revelation 19. And to her, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, right, clean and bright for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. These are the things that the saints will do in these latter days that will turn many to righteousness. And we will be And part of the reason that we want these smaller gatherings is it says, don't forsake the gathering together, come together to stir each other. What? To love and good works as you see the day approaching. In other words, these things are in our vision. We're not doing approaching this by fear. We're approaching it out of a knowledge that God is going to bring us through this. And he's also going to bring us, uh, through some difficult times. But the one thing that we can't do is ignore the times and think I still have time, in my opinion. Most of you, I see a lot of you are women on this call. None of us as men have experienced childbirth, but I understand I've been through it with my own daughters. It gets more intense towards the end. The time frames become shorter. And we've already seen waves. We had the pandemic. We had Ukraine. We've had shortages that we're starting to experience. We, uh, there's all kinds of things that the world system is beginning to see. What will they back up to? What will they, what can we get them to go along with before we have to resort to something ugly? And if you know anything about Nazi Germany and what went on there during those years that led up to the, the fall, he didn't come in all at once with that. It was a gradual system of pressure that brought and eventually ended up in persecution. And that's the thing the church that I'm sad to say a little bit is not awake to. Um, it will not be church as usual in the future. I mean, we've only had a foretaste of this, but it is going to change. But I do think individually, and what I've begun to do personally is, Lord, I want to know what to ask you for in this hour. None of us have been this way before. And so we are going to need each other, what we each bring to the table from the kingdom in terms of working together and pooling what God is calling us. Because remember, as they moved from where they were struck and scattered in the Garden of Gethsemane, they were of one mind and one accord in the upper room when Pentecost fell. 
If the church will move down this path where we can become one voice, I believe God will respond to that. And I'll close with this. Um, I want to read a passage from the Song of Solomon, the last verse, um, which to me is very special because I believe it's the groom speaking to the bride. Um, if I can find it, my Bible's a little wrecked. Uh, I've seen that Bible. So it says, this is verse 13 and 14 of chapter 8. You who dwell in the gardens, the companions listen for your for your voice. Let me hear it. This is the show. This is the beloved speaking. This is Jesus, and I believe his camp, his companions here are the angels. It says, "Let me hear it." They listen for your voice. The shomo make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. Let's call him forth. Let's call as the bride for the groom to come, to release what he wants to release for his bride in this hour. That's the light, in my opinion, of Isaiah 60 that will rise and shine over us during this time. And so I want to give you a word of encouragement that it is time to come out of Babylon. And Greg and I can tell you lots of stories about the way God has shown us to come out. And he's been doing that since the early 2000s when God warned us at 9-11. He's, in the United States, he's warned, but he's warning the nations right now. He's a good God. He loves us. He's giving us chances to shift and to change. But it's interesting that in Daniel chapter 10, I think it is, it wasn't until David or Daniel says he humbled himself and asked for revelation. And the church needs to humble itself. The old agendas have got to go. In, in First Chronicles, it doesn't say repent. It says humble yourself and pray, then turn from your wickedness. Humbling ourselves is not about sin. Christ humbled himself, and he was sinless, considering equality with, with God not to be something to be grasped in, in Philippians. Humbling ourselves is his, he purposed and positioned himself that his father's agenda was greater than his agenda. The church and the bride have got to say, God's agenda is greater than our agenda. And so there's a shift, and I'm not saying it's easy. But we're in an hour where the church has got to shift. It's got to move in alignment with what the word of God is saying, because this is his time. Peter and them didn't want to go to Jerusalem. And Jesus said, get behind me. You know who he did. He drew a sword in the Garden of Gethsemane. The church is fighting against what God's wanting to do on the earth. And we need to understand how to join him in what he's doing on the earth. And so I hope this just makes sense, because coming out of Babylon, as Greg described, is in Revelation. It's, it's right before Jesus comes back. We're in this season of moving out. And I want to say this to you all, that we're all involved in Babylon in some way. Some of us may have mortgages, and those were held by the Babylonian system. I was alive in the 1990s when the, Grady, when the Savings and Loan Associations collapsed in the United States. And I know people that they were, they were current with their mortgages, and the government seized the businesses and put people into bankruptcy because your mortgage is an asset on their balance sheet. And they will liquidate the assets of the balance sheet when they're closing something down. And for those of you who don't have any mortgages, but you have wealth, your wealth won't be safe in the Babylonian system. They will seize your accounts and lock it up. They've already proved they can do that with Russia and the Ukraine event. They've done it in Crete. They've done it in Malaysia. They've done it. We have historical precedents today 
that they can change your bank account overnight. So if you think you can stay in the Babylonian system, even if you have no debt, that's a wrong move because God's going to judge the Babylonian system and it holds both of those cards. So the idea is to come out and there are ways to come out of it. But be wise and prayerful as you do this. Seek other people who are like-minded, who are hearing what we call the sound of the, the, the Lord's voice in this hour. And begin to move with the rhythm of, that he shows you and the, and the people that are, that are nearby to you. Amen. This is in a very exciting time. We can turn many people to righteousness in this hour. Yes. But life as we know it is going to change drastically even more than it has. Yeah.